So here we are again, the Advent season, uh, second message on His return. Speaking of the Advent of His return, not the Advent of His birth. We're going to focus on the birth in the next couple Sabbaths. But today, anticipation of His return. Prayerfully, the message that I've prepared, if you do not anticipate Christ's return, I hope with the things I share today that you have that. I hope that you have an anticipation for His return. Scripture lessons, I have a couple of them today. The first one's from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Then we're going to 2 Peter, both from the, living, the New Living Translations. Hear the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from, godliness, from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. I'm going to pause. I think of the parable that Jesus told about the tare and the wheat. And the workers asked, should we go out and rip up the tares and get them, tear them out? He said, no, leave them. My friends, we are to live in this evil world, but we are to live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. We are the wheat. Why we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us His very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Are you totally committed to doing good deeds? You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. And now turning to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-14. through 14. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God has made that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word that pres- the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when godly people, ungodly people, let me get that right, when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I'm going to pause again. Friends, that is God's will. That is what God wants. He does not want anyone. It's not God's desire that anyone be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as as unexpected as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. 
since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, He will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth He has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. Hallelujah. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peacefully, living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. Amen. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You for Your Word that reveals to us the things that are to come. And Father, I pray that we would long for Your coming. But Father, I pray that You would allow Your Spirit to be upon us to help us live blameless lives. Help us to live lives that are pure in Your eyes, Father God. But Father, just as important, help us to be faithful to proclaim Your Word. Father, we know that it is Your will, as this Word just declared to us, that none would perish. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful to reveal to others how that they can have forgiveness of their sins, how they can have the relationship with You. May Your Spirit lead us and guide us. May Your Spirit be present today. And Lord, may these words go forth and perform or plant seeds, Lord God, and perform many signs and wonders, Father, by Your Word, for Your glory and for Your honor, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anticipation. It is the act of looking forward. Looking forward to a future state or a future event. You know, it is important that we have things to look forward to. You know, we just finished up the Dream Big series, and it's, uh, it was about dreaming big and you not know, limiting ourselves, but and, and trusting that you know God can do great and amazing things. We need to set goals that we strive for. Our family should set goals and then re- try to reach goals that glorify Him. You know, as we anticipate things, or the things that we anticipate sometimes will change as we grow older. I know that as a teenager. What is one thing that many teenagers really long for, anticipate? Driving. Yeah. I'm here to tell you, I mean, I might have shared this before, but that year that I was 15 was the longest year of my life. I truly anticipated driving. I mean, I longed to drive. I really longed to drive. You know, when we we get that opportunity to drive on our own, it, it brings that sense of independence. You know, you don't... Need your parents to take you everywhere you want to go. So you long for that. And you know, I think I was there the day after my birthday to get my license. And back then, you could drive a motorcycle by yourself on your learner's pen. So that's all I needed. So I didn't really care. You know, I had a motorcycle. I didn't even have a car. Wouldn't you know it, three days after I get those things, I get pulled over for speeding. <laughs> three days. Yeah, and I thought that freedom might be gone. And I think that wise officer planted a little bit of fear in me because he said, lucky for you, young man, we do not send information to West Virginia because this happened in Maryland and I was a West Virginia resident. He said, you might have just lost those licenses that you've longed for. We long for things. We look forward to things. You know, we look forward to getting married. 
We look forward to having children. We look forward to finishing high school. We look forward to graduating from college. We look forward to having grandchildren. We look forward to retiring. Do we look forward to Christ's return? Amen. Having goals, looking forward. It's an important part of life. God intends us to look forward to what He has in the future. My friends, if there is no hope, no future, what comes about is called hedonism. Because you think that this life is all there is. That's what hedonism is. That there's no, no beyond this life. That you might as well just pursue pleasure and self-indulgence. That's what happens when there's no hope of life after what we have here. William Barclay gave a superb example of hedonism from an inscription he found on a headstone. The headstone of, apparently of an unbeliever. The headstone said, I was nothing, I am nothing, so thou, so thou who art still alive, eat, drink, and be merry. Because they thought that's all there was. Barclay says, having no goal and no end in history leads to despair. So whether it's hedonism or apathy or abject despair, without God intervening in human history, without having a goal for history without having a purpose for history, without having an end for history, without having a right, writing of wrong, life takes on absolutely no meaning at all. There will be a writing of wrong Amen. when Jesus returns. Yes. Though more than that, writing of wrongs, we have to look forward with anticipation. What we have to look forward to most of all is seeing the one who made that all possible. Do you anticipate that? Do you look forward to that? Seeing the one who makes eternal life possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. That we can enjoy what he has prepared for us. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. There you may also be. But where He is. Do we need any more than that to anticipate? to look forward to His return than the fact that we will be where He is. Amen. Do you need any more than that? My friends, that should be enough. Is that enough for you to know that you will be where Jesus is? To be able to not just see, but to actually touch Him. What did he tell Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I touch him with my hands. So Jesus appeared to him and said, Thomas, here. You doubted. Now you can touch. To be able to touch his hands, touch where they pierced his hands with the nails, touch his side where the spear went into his side. 
hear that audible voice. To actually see His lips move. My friends, do you look for that? Do you long for that? I think every believer should long for that. To see the One who died for me. The One who died for you. That's our hope. You know, we know very little about heaven. But a theologian described it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. A well-known inhabitant. That is Jesus. There's not a better way of looking at it than that, is there? Richard Baxter expressed the thought in these lines. My knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim. But it's enough that Christ knows all. And I shall be with Him. That I shall be with Him. To those that have learned to love and trust Jesus, the prospect of meeting Him face to face and being with Him forever, forevermore, is the hope that keeps us going. No matter what this life throws at us, no matter what this life throws at us, friends, whether it's sickness, disease, despair, poverty, that is the hope that we have. That future with Him. I'm sure you've all, as you've watched television a time or two, have seen advertisements where they're, they're, they're trying to sell their product. And they say, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. If you buy it now, we'll double your offer for the same price. You'll get twice as much. Well, I think you get twice the junk, right? Well, it really is enough that we'll be able to see Jesus. We'll be able to be with Him and touch Him. But yet, there's more. There is more, friends. Remember, the whole creation, as the song said, the whole creation groans. The whole creation has been groaning since sin entered into the world. It has affected the entire creation. Sin has. In Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1-4, through 4, it says, Now I saw... A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, my friends, so there will be no sorrow there. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. A new dwelling place for those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's differences of opinion about what will actually happen to this earth that we live on now that we know so well. Some believe it might just be completely destroyed and God will make an entire new earth. Some believe that the fire, the fire which purifies and cleanses, will actually just melt everything on this earth and God will start with new. Make it all new. Make it brand new. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Well, if it happens that way, if it just burns up, guess what? It's still going to be made brand new. You know, if you live in a dilapidated old house, the, the roof's leaking so bad you've got buckets all over the place catching the water, the shingles are coming up on the roof and the, the, uh, the shutters are hanging off the side of the windows and the porch is falling down. It's just in a shambles. It's a mess. It's a just dilapidated old thing. Well, something happens. Your situation changes. And you're able to have someone come in and just bulldoze that thing, tear it completely down, haul it away. As a matter of fact, your situation changes to the point they can even, they removed the old trees that were dead. Removed everything. All you're left with was nothing but the lot. And you was able to have someone come in and build you an entirely new house. Granite countertops. Shiny new fixtures everywhere in the house. Even planted new trees out in the yard. Well, my friends, for you, that is new. It is all completely new. There's no resemblance of the old. Nothing of the old left. Made completely new. So however God desires to do it or plans to do it, we can be assured that it is new. It is new. It will not resemble what we have now at all. It will be completely new. Mainly because there will be no sin, no evil, no wickedness there. The earth will be purified, cleansed of sin. There will be no more thorns, no thistles. Hallelujah. You know, as I pondered this this week and thinking of the new heaven and the new earth, most of the time we do surround most of our thought and our process on the new earth. We don't even think about it. It said new heavens too, remember? New heaven and a new earth. Think about the heavens. Think about the heavens around us. you got the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. Well, this first heaven, when you think about it, how many times? We see it every year. Well, there's storm clouds will roll in and send down torrential rains and flood entire cities. How many times? Well, there was 31 tropical storms this year in the U.S. 30 named storms. 13 major hurricanes this year alone. How many tornadoes? Every year we know that come April, May, June, especially the folks in the Midwest can expect those swirling tornadoes to come through and they wipe out and they might wipe out entire blocks, entire cities. My friends, the heavens that we have now are destructive. They're deadly. The new heaven will not be destructive or deadly. There will be no hurricanes. There will be no tornadoes to bring death upon the inhabitants. Because the new heaven and the new earth will be a place that the redeemed of the Lord will happily live and live triumphantly without fear 
of the storms that may come that bring death. No destruction. No death. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-26 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after those, afterward those who are Christ at His coming. Then comes the end, when He delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed, my friends, is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So I guarantee you the new heavens will not destroy because death will be destroyed. And again, there is even more. More that we should anticipate. I hope it's stirring up your anticipation. Revelations 21.2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations of the Scriptures, a lot of different interpretations, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation. Because we know that there's a lot of events described in Revelation that's just simply mind-boggling. There's a lot of uh, creatures described. There's a lot of things described in Revelation that's hard to wrap your mind around. I found a teaching on the New Jerusalem that this commentator said, it's absurd to believe that God's going to send an entire city down out of heaven to the earth. Well, I disagree with that commentator. Personally, I believe that John's description is so clear, it is so detailed about the city, I believe that it will happen just the way that he described it. Because I believe that with my God, nothing is impossible. If he wants to send down an entire city from heaven, out of heaven, that's what it says. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Do you believe your God is able? Well, I believe my God is able and He can do it. I know this is kind of a long scripture. I'm going to jump through some of it. But I believe it's worth going through to see what God has prepared, what He's preparing for His people. Revelation 21, 10 through 23. And as you'll see, I'm going to skip along some of this. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. I think that's pretty clear. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates. The names written on them which are the name with names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So each gate is going to have a name, and it's going to be the names of the tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. What an honor. What an honor. To have your names on the gates or your names on the foundations of that great city. 
And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out in a square, its length is as great as its breadth, and, its, and he measured the city with the reed. Twelve thousand furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty cubits according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. The, the construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, and I know that I'm going to get some of these stones. I'm not going to pronounce them correctly. Second was sapphire, then chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardis, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysophrase, jasthen, and amethyst. Ignore the pronunciation, please. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And Barbara spoke of the light. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. My friends, the Lamb is its light. He is the light of the world. Is that light shining in your heart, in your life? That is the, what we have to look forward to. That's what we have to anticipate. Amazing things that God has prepared, that the Lord is preparing. But just as amazing is the things that will not be there. The things that will not be there should cause us to look forward to that day. My friends, there will be no more division among the people there. We are seeing a lot of that today, aren't we? There will be no more rioting in the streets. There will be no more rioters burning down buildings. There will be no more social injustice there. Praise the Lord, there will be no more elections there. Hallelujah! Don't I get an amen for that? No more elections there because He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. There will be no more deadly viruses that attack our neighbors and friends and our family. There will be no more diabetes. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more heart disease. No more tears. There will be no more sorrow. I could go on and on, couldn't I? There will be no more death. Do you not long for that? Man, I hope after today you'll get up every morning and say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come today. Come now. Get us out of this mess. Because what we have, what you're preparing is wonderful. There is no temple. Because He will be the light. He will dwell with man. We will dwell with Him. My friends, it will no longer be by faith that we look forward to it. We will experience it face to face. It will be a place where the wolf and the lamb will feed together. My friends, the lion will eat straw. No longer will an infant live but a few days. 
the family that I did the funeral for said one thing that that young man struggled with is how bad things happen to children. Well, that's a hard thing to wrap your hands around, your mind around. But no longer will that be in heaven. The wonderful description of all that the Lord is preparing for His children ought to make us anticipate His return and the establishment of His kingdom on this earth. We should long for the new heaven and the new earth. Something for now though, my friends. Remember this. That we are a new creation in Christ when we are born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 say, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if, many, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I found another illustration, of course, it, again, it involves a building. London businessman Lindsey Craig told the story of a warehouse property that he was selling. The building had been empty for months and months and in need of much repair. Vandals had damaged the doors, smashed the windows, strewn trash all around the interior. As he showed a prospective buyer the property, Clegg took pains to say that he would replace the broken windows, bring in a crew to correct any structural damage, and clean out all the trash that had been strewn throughout. Forget about the repairs, the buyer said. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. Compared with the renovations that God has in mind, our efforts to improve our own lives are as trivial as sweeping out that warehouse of all the trash that was slated for the wrecking ball. When we become gods, the old life is over. He makes all things new. All He wants is the sight and the permission to build. That's all He wants, friends. This, your vessel is all He wants and permission to build new. To make new. We are made new by Jesus Christ when we are born again. Old things have passed away. The trash should be gone. Swept out. Clean. Purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are new now. But yet we anticipate His coming. That the wheat can be separated from the tares. And live with Him forevermore. Amen?